Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. I want to start very quickly. We have a lot to cover from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, For there had no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able to bear, or that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And I want to stand on this note today. You see, it's interesting when many people are surprised each time things don't go according to their plan. Where do you think you are? Heaven? <laughs> Where do you think you are? Where do you think you are? Both natural and biblical history point to the fact that, you know, these things are common. Things happen. Stuff happens. All right? I mean, the Bible is clear on that. And so for the past three weeks, I've dwelt with you on the natural destiny of the world, you know, to make my case on when we talk about new normal and everything, one thing I've established is the natural destiny of the world. What is happening is no surprise to a Bible student at all. No surprise at all. Just in case you missed what I've been saying, the point is this. The world is falling. The world is falling. Because of the disobedience of the first man, the perfect world God created is now ravaged with sin. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 is your reference for that. And when sin came in, death also came in, for the wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. That's the root cause of coronavirus and every other evil in the world. Fundamentally, the root cause of it, the fall of man. And the sad reality is, it will keep happening. I, I shared with you a text, you know, from the book of Revelations last week, you know, that talked about the new heaven and the new earth. And it says that God will wipe away the tear from every eye. The only time you would ever have a situation where every single person in the world has great experiences perpetually forever is in the new world. It's not going to happen now. So, will any year be a good year, I mean, naturally and practically speaking, for every single person all the time? No. There's never been such a year. And at the same time, there has never been a year that was bad for every single person at the same time. All right? So, so the text today says, They had no temptation taken you, but such as is common. And we're not trying to commonize it. We're not trying to commonize all the trials you're facing. We're trying instead to identify with it. We're identifying with it. All right? Sir, you lost a relative? I'm sure many people tuning in have also <laughs> had that experience. It's a common experience for many of us. Having financial, financial troubles? <laughs> Common experience for many of us. 
even the best of us, the, the people who you think are doing well, you know, financially, sometimes there's some hitches and some things to overcome. It's happened. It's come on. Going through a breakup. <laughs> some people will have stories to tell you. In fact, by the time you hear their story, you, 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 you'll be shy and ashamed to tell your own. Because you realize maybe you never really went through anything at all. It's come on. It happens. Maybe you've had to use your faith repeatedly for your health. Well, that also is come on. It happens. So the Bible says there is no temptation you would ever face. That someone else somewhere in the world in history of humanity has not faced. And I dare say even more. <laughs> You're not the first. It's common. You're not the first. It's common. And you see, uh, let me say this to you also. The Bible says God will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. Just remember that. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. So before the, the, the temptation and the trial ever comes face to face with you, remember that grace has been made available for you to soar on unhindered. Remember that. You are capable of moving on. Capable. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And I want to take this opportunity to thank God for you because, you know, in your life you've walked through the fire. And I mean fire. <laughs> Maybe even literally. Maybe your house has been burned to the ground before. You know, some of you have had to walk on water, have to go through impossible situations, situations that people thought you would never recover from. You've had all the highs and all the lows in this life. People have gone through a divorce. People have gone through, you know, lost a loved one, lost a relationship, lost a lot of money in business, and you are still standing. That's what the Bible says. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able to bear. That's your life. And I want to take the opportunity to thank God for you. That you're still standing, despite all that you've been through, you're still strong. In fact, when people see you, you don't look like what you've been through. You don't, you don't look like what, I mean, the Bible says that when the Hebrew boys went through the fire, the, that furnace, they came out and they were not even smelling of fire. You don't even look like what you've been through. And I want to thank God for you and I want to appreciate God for you. Well done, well done. I mean, after all you've been through, I mean, you still have a prayer life. You're still devoted. You didn't question, you know, your, your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank God for you. Thank God for you. Because you see, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you're able to bear. Hallelujah. Before the trial came, the strength to overcome it was with you. You're never alone. You're never stranded. Oh, glory be to God. Hallelujah. So, if I was to summarize 1 Corinthians 10, 13 for you, I'll summarize it this way. Trials are common, but God is faithful. <laughs> i take that again. Trials are common, but God is faithful. He says, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. So, he first of all said, trials are common, but then he said, God is faithful. I want you to take that with me wherever you are. Say, trials are common. 
but God is faithful. Everywhere you are tuned in, maybe on the audio platform, MixLR or YouTube, I want you to just put in the comment section, say, God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. I want you to mean that prophetically. In your life, God is faithful. Concerning the trials that you're faced with right now, God is faithful. Concerning that sick person you're believing for, God is faithful. Hallelujah. It's a perspective to have. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Yes, God is faithful. God is faithful. But today we want to answer a question. How do you plan for the future in a world of uncertainty? How do you plan for the future? Because now the Bible has told us clearly stuff happens. And things might not always go exactly the way you planned it. Because things happen. It's not, it's not, it's not always because you didn't pray enough. It's not because you were not faithful. It's not because you did anything. Things happen. So how can you plan for the future in a world of uncertainty? Can I tell you something? The fall of man is one of the greatest disadvantage when it comes to project management. Let me call it project management. Projecting for the future. The fall of man. Great setback. I want to read James chapter 4 verse 13. And by that, I simply mean, you know, because of the uncertainties in the world due to the fall of man, I mean, how then, how, how then can you, naturally speaking, plan accurately for the future? Look at, look at James chapter 4. I want to read James chapter 4 verse 13. James chapter 4 verse 13. It says, come on, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. I mean, this is just talking about, you know, how uncertain the world is and how difficult that makes planning to be. You know, you say, oh, I'm going to go into the city, spend a year and a half there, then, you know, go here, buy and sell. He says, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. This is interesting. This just tells us, you know, the fact that despite our expectations, naturally speaking, there are still uncertainties. Can I tell you something? Even the most brilliant planners sometimes, you know, encounter some things they didn't face. They, they didn't anticipate. Some of the most brilliant planners. It's just like a typical example. Maybe last quarter of last year, you were making travel plans for the first quarter of this year. Or, the, you know, the first six months, you said, oh, in the month of May, you know, I'll just travel to Atlanta. From Atlanta, I would then travel to India, do a few business trips, and then race back to Africa. You know, and coronavirus was somewhere looking at you, <laughs> you know, and giggling. I was like, you know, you don't know what's going on, <laughs> you know, or something like that. All right? You see, so maybe the travel plans that have been affected. Because he says, you think you will just go into the city in the next six months, spend another six months here in that city, you know, and then go somewhere else, buy and sell. He says, it doesn't really happen like that. Do you realize where you are? You're in a world of uncertainties. He says, what is even your life? It's a vapor that appears for a season. Some of you know what I'm talking about in finances, in your relationships, and maybe even physically. You know, I remember 
those of you who are close to me might have heard me talk about this. For some strange reason, I have a very vivid memory of my childhood. Very vivid. I can tell you in details what happened on my fifth birthday. I know it was a Sunday. I know what I wore. I know the night before, my uncle, you know, came into the room and he had a birthday gift for me, a bow tie. I don't even know if he remembers. But I wore it that day. I was looking nice. And my dad, you know, when we were about to go to church, he came to me and he said, this is the same thing you are wearing for your party in the afternoon. So make sure you don't stain it. So I remember being conscious, you know, by the way, I've always been a suit lover. But being conscious to make sure no one steps on me, no one stains me in church. The weird thing is, I remember some of the conversations we had in church that day. And it was with some friends. We were talking about Rambo. <laughs> the movie was raining at the time. We were talking about Rambo. So if you thought I was like Jesus in the temple, you know, asking the lawyers and the doctors questions, <laughs> you're mistaken. <laughs> I was talking about, the teacher was teaching, we were talking about Rambo. I, then I, I told them I'm related to Rambo. And I did my face like this, you know, to mimic, you know, how Rambo used to have that smack. <laughs> You know, and you see, the thing is, I, I didn't even realize that it was incredible that I, I, I could remember all of these things until I was talking to people much later in life. And they were like, you remembered all of that from your fifth birthday? And I'm like, yes, I do. You know, that's how I realized not many people maybe have that. And, and so I got back home. The first thing my dad did when he got down from the car, he said, came to my side of the car, opened the door and looked at me. And then he saw that I was impeccable, and he just walked away and smiled. People began to come in, you know, um, for the party. There was light around 2 p.m. Power, power went out. <laughs> I remember all those details. So we had to go out to play, and then they brought my cake. And one boy, Kufri, if you're listening, I just want you to know that God loves you and I've forgiven you. But Kufri kept trying to... I mean, stick his hand in my cake. You know, we had not even caught the cake. And the boy was trying to ruin it. You know, I forgive you. No. <laughs> but, but I just said all of that to say this. I have a vivid memory of my childhood. And so I, it gets even more weird by the time I begin to tell you what happened on my third birthday. I don't know how I remember these things. But, <laughs> but or everything, many things. The people who were chiking my aunties then, I remember. And were using me to get at her, promising me toys that they never bought. You know, the Lord forgive all of you. You are forgiven. You are all forgiven. <laughs> Uncle David, I forgive you. <laughs> all right. So, so but, but, but I said all of that to say this. I think I was six and a half thereabout. And I had this conversation with my mom. We were having a conversation about helicopters. And she told me how they work and everything. And then I told her, you know, I will buy three helicopters. I will buy one for daddy, one for you, and one for myself. And I will never forget. Listen, like I told you, I just have that, that gift, vivid memory of my childhood. I remember where exactly we were. It was an afternoon. I remember what the room looked like. You know, we were sitting close to the window um, on the bed, you know. And she gave me that look. That <laughs> She gave me that look like, boy, you are getting older now. You should know that 
helicopter is not biscuit. <laughs> so, I mean, she never said anything. But I was smart enough to know from her expression, you know, and maybe not intentionally, but it just registered somehow, oh, buying an helicopter is not so easy. She didn't mean to do that. But, but she just wanted to, quote unquote, prepare me <laughs> for the world. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? And some of us have had, you know, rude financial shocks like that. I mean, you thought by 16, you know, you've read all those books, Retire at 21. <laughs> and, you know, you thought, you know, by 16, you will have four conglomerates, um, 100 employees, you know, drive. And so you just fly in with your private jet to different countries, to the different cities where your company has head offices, you know, offices, and you just check on them, how you boys doing, you know. So keep up the good work. You give them one motivational speech, you know. So you, you envisioned all of that. Then, <laughs> and then you didn't know that, you know, the economy had gloves and was going to, you know, give you a fight and all of that. And I thank God you've done well for yourself. But lo long and short is you've had to battle many unfavorable conditions, haven't you? Right? I mean, the same thing happens with relationship. You, you thought... I mean, you, as, as far as you're concerned, you, you entered into college, you're going to be committed to your academics, no time for guys, no time for ladies, uh, depending on, you know, your sex. You're just going to give your academics your full attention until your penultimate year. And you've envisioned that on that fateful day, you'll be walking, you'll bump into somebody of the opposite sex, you know, the books will fall. And then as you're trying to pick the books, your hands will touch, you know, the camera will start panning around you slowly, you know, and then the Indian music is playing in the background, you know, stuff like that. And you say, what's your name? You know, you exchange, you know, contacts. And I mean, fast forward four years later, you have kids and you live happily ever after. <laughs> you know, but, but, but maybe it didn't exactly pan out that way. Maybe it didn't exactly pan out that way. Some of you, you know, the dream guy you had, eventually you had to just tell yourself the truth and say, you know what, half bread is better than none. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just playing well. I'm not well. But, you know, you just had to, uh, you know, say... <laughs> These guys that are, anyway, leave that. <laughs> you know, and then the weird thing, the humor of it all is, no single person has it all. You want a tall, rich, handsome, God-fearing guy, you know, but the tall, rich guy does not know the Lord, and the one that knows the Lord... <laughs> Does not have a job, and then you know, and then just when you see the one who has, you know, who claims to be a church goer, is handsome, he's tall, he's rich, he's well, you know, but but he then approaches you, and the moment he begins to talk, you hear chiming sounds, and you you investigate where's where's that not coming from? You notice his knots missing knots from his head falling on the floor. He does not have sense. And then you're wondering, why can't anybody be perfect? You know? I'm just playing with you today. And of course, you know, it works vice versa. All right. There's some ladies, you know, that we're believing the Lord for. <laughs> but I said all that to say this. How do you breathe through 
the uncertainties of life. How do you break through? How do you break through? Are we just going to accept it? Oh, what is life? You don't know what tomorrow will hold. Are you just going to accept it that way? Is there something you can do? Listen, for the sake of balance, I want to quickly say that fundamentally there are natural ways, all right, to break through the uncertainties of life just by sheer tenacity and hard work. Hard work. How do you do better financially? You have to be ready to put in the work. Work hard, work smart. Learn about money. Learn about business. So there are simple underlying laws, and I want you to know that the things we're about to talk about today don't in any way set aside the natural fundamental aspects of life. I've, I've taught you this before. You see, we rely on miracles, but for our day-to-day -day life, there is a system that God has set in order in the world. And it is that system that we're meant to survive on. This is what I'm saying. The fact that Jesus walked on water one day was not reason enough for him never to use a boat anymore. <laughs> he still used boats. All right. So some of us want to hang on to miracles in such a way that they exclude us from, you know, the need to put in the necessary work. You don't read for your exams. You fail and you're praying, God, change the score. Some of us, you know what I'm saying? It never changed. <laughs> you, will, you will pray fast. You go and look at the board. It's still F staring you in the face, you know. So this is how you will use your faith, by going back to study well. <laughs> you know, and, and you you just have to learn that you know physically you have to challenge yourself. You, there's what you can do to be healthier, to to feel better, to to either gain weight or lose lose weight. You know, but I mean there are some statements that some of us will never understand. Like I'm watching my weight. I, it, that's a great mystery to me. Watching your weight, you know, because some of us have to be intentional to add any weight at all. All right, and that's just the mystery of life. But but whatever package your life comes with, there is something you can do to improve it. Do you understand? But this is the question. Is success in life always directly proportionate to the amount of effort that you invest? The answer is no. No. And so there are a lot of people who are poor because they are lazy but there are a lot of people who are hardworking and, not, and they're not rich either. In fact, a lot of people have tried their best, even though many times when we say we've tried our best, we're lying, we've not tried our best. But a lot of people have actually done the most and somehow we didn't just work. It didn't just work. For instance, the pandemic, many people have lost their jobs. How was that their fault? That's what we want to talk about. Is it possible, despite the inconsistencies in this world, to still consistently be victorious? Is it possible? Look at what Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 11 says. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 11. He says, I returned and saw under the sun. Now, this is not a prophetic declaration. You know, this is a scientific observation. And Solomon, he's studying all walks of life, you know, and people therein. And he comes up with this observation. He says, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift. It's not always the best runner that wins the race. Have you noticed that? 
I wish, you know, anyway, I don't want to give examples. The race is not to the swift. The battle is not to the strong. Ask David and Goliath. The battle is not to the strong. Neither yet bread to the wise. There are some wise people that somehow don't have what people call street smart. When it comes to translating that book wisdom into practical wealth and financial freedom, they can't do it. Why? Why? It says, nor yet riches to men of understanding. Have you, do you think it's everybody who has mastered economics that is a millionaire? He said, not, nor yet riches to men of understanding, nor yet favor to men of skill. He says, but time and chance happen to them all. You, you, you don't know the difference between time and chance. For instance, two children are born at the same time, the same day. But guess what? One is born in the U.S., one is born in Nigeria. Time and chance. And so by the time both of them are starting business at the same time, one of them has to use money to first buy generator and then do pumping machine. But the other one is working in a system where he doesn't need a generator, all right, he, and the government already supplies water. So one appears to have a, a head start. And guess what? You can't decide where you're going to be born. You can't decide where you're going to be born. And just, just so you know, I'm not saying it is better. In fact, you've missed all that I've been teaching if you think that the answer to all that you're going through is just to travel to another country. It's not at all. Anyway, we're getting to that. But I'm just talking about time, time and chance. Events beyond your control. Let me tell you something about me. Psychologically, it matters who is driving me. If I'm in the car, I want to know <laughs> who is driving. Because I am very intentional about my life. If you study me well, I'm intentional about everything. I just like to do things well. I like to do things well. And I always like to improve things. And when someone who is intentional and meticulous and careful has to subject his life to someone, you know, I can't count how many times I've had to stop someone driving me and say, you know what, um, maybe you don't really understand this car well. Let me, let me just take it from here or something like that. And, of course, I can, I, I can still love you and all of that. It doesn't just mean that you can drive me now. I know some of you will now be extra careful when it comes to driving me, but hey. I just, I just said that for a reason. Many of us hold on to a sense of control. We, have to, we like to have a sense of control. What do you do when you realize things are not exactly under your control? There are events beyond your control. For instance, all your um, New Year resolutions, maybe you followed them faithfully. In all sincerity, you were determined to work harder, you know, work smarter, exercise and all of that, but then you couldn't go out. <laughs> so, so, so there are events beyond your control. So, and so Solomon observes life and says that life is out of balance. There are some people, you know, and that's why some people have some resentment and no believer should have that. You just see some people who, you know, you, you just feel like you could have done better if you were in their shoes. 
But they are doing, you know, they just have more opportunities. Such is life. Time and chance happens to them all. Time and chance. Praise the Lord. This is very important and very sensitive. Because there are people who were rich yesterday and are not rich anymore. You know, the first time I was talking about this, I talked about, you know, how I grew up. I know the kind of environment I grew into. In fact, when I was in primary school, I met a woman who said, oh, I, I always knew your family. You, you were the envy of the neighborhood. You know, your mom used to drive a red sport car. Your, drive, your dad used to drive a Benz. It, 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 was, it was a thing in, in that neighborhood, all right? We, we, we had a lot of things going on great. My dad would travel out of the country just to do, shop for us. And a lot of things were great. And then one day, I saw a truck drive into the car, into the house, a truck. And they began to bring office furniture. I recognized the furniture. It was furniture from my dad's company. And I asked, uh, what's happening? Why is the furniture coming in here? And they just told me one story. You know, African parents, they, many of them like to hide the information. And the next day, daddy didn't go to work. Daddy, why aren't you going to work? Ah, I just want to work from home today. And the next day after that, he walked from home too. The next month after that, he walked from home too. And for a year and a half at least, my dad, his company was no more. His company was no more. The first day we were praying in the house, you know, our normal family devotion, and my dad brought up school fees as a prayer point. I was, I was surprised. I was like, what's going on? Since when did we start praying about this? And then one day, you know, I was in school. I looked through the window. And I saw my dad. He had come to see the principal to write an undertaking to say even if he can't pay um, the fees as promptly as he used to, that they should give him two months. And I was like, that's when I knew things were going bad. Our meals began to change. And I can share these testimonies because things are better, all right? Uh, but the thing is, it just makes me question, or it made me question, isn't it possible to be consistently successful? Naturally, in the natural optics of things, nobody can guarantee that. But yet, you see what I call League of Extraordinary Men. There are men in biblical history. That had this life I'm talking about. Men in biblical history. You know, you just see, all right, fingerprints of divinity around their path where it's, it's effortless. It's effortless. I mean, God is literally rising to the occasion in their defense even when they are not really putting in the effort. They are not really putting in the effort. They are seeing great miracles. Listen, do you know the kind of faith you need to see miracles consistently in your life? We talk about faith and how they birth miracles. But when you see the children of Israel, look at, look, look, look at all the miracles they saw. What did they do? What prayer did they pray? They were in unbelief consistently, you know, always seeking opportunities to return back to Egypt. The Bible says they returned back in their minds. Yet, 
The Red Sea was parted. They walked through it. They saw miracles in the wilderness despite their stubbornness. See all that God did to persuade them. Getting Moses to drop his rod on the floor. He turns to a serpent. He picks it back. You know, all that demonstration just to woo them. And then someone else who wants to stop a small sickness in his life has to demonstrate so much faith. Why is it that it appears that some things are so effortless for some people and so difficult for others? Why? There are many reasons to it. First and foremost, don't forget what I taught you on Tuesday. Uh, on Wednesday, I beg you, during the midweek service, that the supernatural in your life is an advantage that everybody around you is supposed to benefit from. So when God is giving some people ease to some things, he has you in mind. That's just the reality of things. They might not recognize it, and that would be a sin, but that's it. So just keep that in mind. I'm trying to balance this as much as possible. But, 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 but you see that. You see that so many examples. I call them League of Extraordinary Men. And when you try to study their lives, what was their secret? You don't find a single principle that works for all of them. I mean, based on general opinion. Was it prayer? No, not prayer. What about the children of Israel? What prayers did they pray? They, all they did was complain. Try to kill Moses as a, at a point. I mean, do you know what it means to watch someone stretch his rod and an ocean parts in front of you? And you walk through and the army that was coming to kill you is destroyed behind you. And next moment you're trying to kill that person. And that's one of the dumbest stories in, in the entire Bible. Because if you kill Moses in the wilderness, how, where are you going to go? You can't go back to Egypt and you can't go to the promised land. Those guys were just dumb. Guess what? They still saw miracles. The Bible says none of them was feeble. None of them was feeble. As they walked through the, the, the wilderness, none of them was feeble. Not even their cattle. Their clothes did not grow old. Have you read about that? Their clothes did not grow old. As the children grew, their clothes grew supernaturally. They saw great miracles. Great miracles, I tell you. Yet. Come on, are you getting what I'm saying? Do you know what it means? That the Pharaoh of Egypt... An unbeliever slept, and in a dream, a night vision, he saw the economic template of the world for the next 14 years. Do you know what that means? Yeah, he might not have had the interpretation, but he had the dream. Do you know what that means? Someone else is trusting for the leading of God, praying about it, and you should. Trusting for it, and you should. But now there is a pagan king. Who knows not the Lord, but he sleeps and he has an economic template for the next 14 years. You want to talk about Nebuchadnezzar who saw a statue that symbolized the world powers from his time till the end of age. What's happening here? What prayers did they pray? 
Not all of them were known for generosity. Not all of them were known for prayer. Not all, not all of them were known for holiness. As important as all these things are, what was the secret? The secret is what I call prophetic purpose. Listen, if you listen to me and you plug into this, can I tell you something? It is possible to know that all the days of your life, you will not be defeated. David knew. Are you aware David never lost a battle? Do you know what that means? Never lost a battle. Was David perfect? Far, far from it. Was Abraham perfect? Far from it. You know what it means to watch another man carry your wife into his bosom. Because you lie to him that she is your sister just to save your life. There was no sword on his neck. He just thought, oh, he assumed Abimelech was going to kill him and take his wife. So he lied. No, he wasn't under pressure. What would have happened if Abimelech, you know, went in to, to Sarah? What would have happened? And these guys are not perfect. But their lives were consistently victorious. I told you, it is called prophetic purpose. And this is, I'm going to try my best to explain it to you in the rest of the time that I have. Pay attention now. All right. Man has free will. I've taught you that before. Yet, God has a sovereign purpose and agenda for mankind. You have to understand, both go hand in hand. God's sovereign purpose and agenda for mankind and his free will. So, the free will of man and the so sovereign agenda of God are always in agreement. Always in agreement. Let me give an example. Of course, the example. Let's talk about salvation. According to God's sovereign agenda, the Messiah will come. He will die for our sins. He will rise again the third day. Those who believe in him will be saved. Can I tell you something? What I just said was non-negotiable. Listen, there was no force of hell, no scheme of man that would have ever stopped this plan. The Messiah was going to come. He was going to die. He was going to rise again. Everyone who believes in him will be saved. All right. But here is where free will comes in. Now, a man can decide for his own self whether to receive that plan or not. So you see, both are mutually exclusive. God is faithful to his own plan. But man has his decisions to make. So you can either choose to cooperate with that plan or not. But here is the thing. God's prophetic agenda is like a freight train. It's moving with tremendous speed and force. I call it the most powerful force in the universe. Anything that stands in its way will go its direction. It must go, it cannot be hindered. You have to understand this. It's moving with prophetic force. So, Either by sovereign selection or by alignment, if you find yourself where God is, going with God, moving where God is going, you become an unstoppable force. Can I tell you something? This is one of the most powerful secrets of success 
in the Bible and in the world. A lot of people, pay attention to this and never forget this. A lot of people are trying to get God to bless what they are doing. Instead of trying to do what God is blessing. Let me take that again. A lot of people, a lot of people are trying to get God to bless what they are doing instead of doing what God is blessing. Because, listen, there is a natural destiny of men. You can work hard, it still doesn't guarantee much. The race is not to the swift, but to the strong. We talked about that. But now, Romans chapter 9 verse 16 says the same thing that that Ecclesiastes chapter 9 also says, but now there is a caveat to it, an extra information to it. And I want you to see the difference. Romans chapter 9 verse 16 says, So then, it is not of him that willeth, the fact that you want to do better may not be enough. It doesn't guarantee all the good stuff that you want. You can't always get what you want. It's not of him that willeth. Desire is not often enough. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. Not just that you do you have the intention. You're actually, you've put the rubber on the road. You know, you've put the structure and you're going for it. It says, nor of him that runneth, but of God that shows mercy. And I wish I had enough time to explain this to you. Mercy here is not referring to God, you know, just being so full of himself, even if he has every right to, and just for some reason, choosing not to bless some people and to bless some others. No. Mercy here, is a position of alignment with prophetic purpose. The moment you are aligned with prophetic purpose, you will see effortlessly the mercy of God. Let me explain this to you. So now, there is a verdict in Jerusalem. Herod is looking for the Messiah. Because of that, he orders for every child under the age of two to be executed. The Bible says there was crying in the land, weeping in the land. But I'm sure of one child, maybe two, and I will tell you why I think it's two, but I'm sure of one child that escaped. Jesus, because an angel went to Joseph to give him a tip off and to tell him, take your child to Egypt. Told him ahead of time. Why do I think there are two children? Because guess what? John the Baptist was only about six months older than Jesus. Yet, John the Baptist survived that. So, of course, what do you think happened? If, if it was you, won't you tell your cousin? <laughs> so, Mary must have told Elizabeth. All right. Whether they ran to the same place or not, we don't know that. But we know John the Baptist survived that. So, just think about that. You know, that's not in the Bible. So, whether you choose to agree with it, I'm not, it's not cast on stone. But the point is this. When you try to investigate why Jesus survived, when many people in his time died, what was the reason? Was it because Joseph was brave or Joseph had, you know, it was purpose. Purpose made the security of Jesus and his family by extension. Notice what I'm saying. By extension, I'm coming to that soon. 
Purpose made the security of Jesus and his family by extension a priority. You have to understand this. Let me first explain it in the context of the salvation plan, which is the main context of prophetic purpose. And then we'll bring this to, to a close. So God appears to, or God speaks to Moses, and he tells him, Say these words to the children of Israel. If you will keep my commandments, I will make you, you know, a royal priesthood unto me. A, king, a nation of priests unto me. He says, because all the earth is mine. I have the right to do that. I, may, I have the right to make you a peculiar people above all the nations of the earth because all the earth is mine. Now, now that's how mercy works. You cannot... Be angry at the mercy of God towards someone because if you're angry, it means you have a sense of entitlement. Listen, if four people are working for me and I pay them their salary, I've done all I need to do. But if I call one of them aside and give him a million naira, now that's mercy. I don't have to give everybody. And nobody has the right to be angry with me for giving one person. That's how mercy works. So if there are several nations in the world, God chooses Israel to be a holy nation. He has the right to do so. And so now God wants to pick a nation through which the Messiah is going to be birthed. And he picks Israel. By sovereign divine selection. There was nothing in Israel that made them special. In fact, if you study about Israel, you will feel they don't qualify at all. They were hardened, they were stubborn, but by sovereign divine selection. Is that not what we are talking about? How you just see some people, you, you just don't understand why they have what they have, the privileges they have. It annoys you, but they keep getting bigger. All right? And now, how does this pertain to the natural things we're talking about. Oh, because that selection counted for every other thing. The supernatural prophetic selection was what gave David the confidence to stand before Goliath. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that dares challenge the army of God? He called the Israeli army the army of God. Why did he think that the Israeli army was special? Because they were circumcised. Not because of their weapons. Pay attention to this. But because they had a mark, a seal, a symbol, you know, that they belong to God. We belong to God so we cannot lose. Are you getting this? We cannot lose. I don't really care how big you are. I don't care if you're a giant and your head is in the, in the sky so we can't see your face. We are circumcised. We cannot lose. Look at how shocked Joshua was when they lost the battle to AI. He was shocked. Like, he, listen, these guys never expected to lose. Ah, we lost to AI. And sure enough, they only lost because someone was not in alignment. God told them, when you go into Jericho, don't take anything. Someone stole something. You know the story. 
So Joshua's suspicion was correct because he knew that in the covenant that they had, they don't get to lose. Do you, do you know what that means? So this sovereign divine selection made them have opportunities and privileges that made them exempt. It was a supernatural advantage. Made them exempt from the general, you know, destiny of the natural world. It's incredible. They, they couldn't lose. If they ever lost any battle, no matter how formidable the opposing army was, if they ever lost any battle, it's because they were not aligned with God. Think about that. It's a supernatural advantage. So this is where a lot of people miss it. You know, they, they go to Mary and they say, Mary, so what can we do prophetically to have a child? <laughs> and you know, and some people too, the pressure to explain what they cannot explain. You know, a lot of people have put them under pressure to explain what they cannot explain. Just tell them it's grace. You know, say, you know, you turn to motivational speaker, acquire to aspire to. Shut up! You yourself can't explain how you got there. Be honest. Mary was on her own. All of a sudden, an angel showed up and said, blessed are you, highly favored of God. And she was amazed by the salutation, like, why are you greeting me this way? I'm just an ordinary person. Do you know who I am? Can you check the address that was given to you? I think you are in the wrong house. And he says, no, it's you. Because by sovereign divine selection, you are going to carry the Messiah in your womb nine months. What did she do? What prayer did she pray? Divine selection. You see that? Divine selection. And so the Bible is explaining this. Romans chapter 9 verse 11. So God has the right to pick, even at random, whatever family, you know, the Messiah is going to come from. He has the right. So, Romans chapter 9, verse 11. He's talking about two children, Esau and Jacob. Follow this story. He says, For the children be not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. So, it wasn't because Jacob was good, Esau was evil. The Bible is clear on that. It says this choice was made before they were born. So if it was before they were born, definitely it wasn't about their goodness. It says that the purpose of God, according to election my stand, not of works, but of him that calleth, it was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. Can I tell you something? Hey, listen. And I can go on to explain this. In the divine selection of God, nobody loses eventually. You have to understand this. Nobody loses. God blessed and promoted Joseph for the preservation of his family and brothers. Everything that happened served to preserve his family and brothers. So God made him a prime minister so that when his family goes through the famine, they go to the only place in the world that has food and their brother is in charge of the food. So when you see someone enjoying this kind of effortless grace and divine selection, don't fight the person. God actually is blessing the person because of you. 
Don't fight. Just a line. However, God picked sovereignly Jacob. The elder is not about age. In African families, maybe it is the firstborn that will have the inheritance. And that's it's, it's good. But just so you won't you wouldn't say it's about age or anything, it says the older will serve the younger. And a lot of people have said Esau was cursed. Go and read the Bible well. Esau was not cursed. Eventually, Esau did well for himself financially. He was blessed. Remember when Jacob came and wanted to give him stuff? He says, I, I have my own stuff. He didn't need anything from Jacob. So what was the difference marker? It was that supernatural spiritual blessing. The privilege to be the lineage from which the Messiah would come. And mind you, Romans chapter 9 is a commentary of the Old Testament. And I'm saying this for a reason. If you don't follow the story, there are some things you will miss. For instance, in this story, after verse 13, obviously, um, after verse 12 is verse 13. <laughs> and so you would think that in, in the real story, it happened at the same time. But no. In Romans chapter 9, verse 12, Paul is quoting from Genesis. In Romans chapter 9, verse 13, Paul is quoting from Malachi. So even if the, the verdict in Romans chapter 12, follow me closely now, this Bible study. Even if the verdict, the statement, the elder shall serve the younger, was made before they were born, the statement in verse 13, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, was quoted in Malachi. You have to understand. So God, first and foremost, did not say, I, will, I hate Esau before Esau was born. No. What he said was, the older will serve the younger. Simple. So where did Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated come into play? Follow this closely. The first thing is, you have to understand that this was a popular metaphor in the Bible. Hate doesn't mean hate. For instance, the Bible says, Jesus speaking, he says, anyone who will come after me must first hate his father, his mother, and his own life. And then pick up his cross and come after me. And that was simply a metaphor. Meaning the love that you have for God should be so great that what you have for yourself and people around you will be hate in comparison. It was, it's just a figure of speech. That's number one. So God did not hate Esau. This is very important. Because a lot of people have used these you know, verses to bring up some funny ideologies, unbiblical propositions. The second thing is, when he said, Jacob have I loved Esau, have I hated? He was not talking about the people anymore. He was talking about the nation. When it was, if you read from the book of Malachi, I wish I had enough time. Maybe I'll spend some more time you know, on this, sharing, but do, do your further study. He was talking about the nation Israel. He was, he was a, prophet, a prophecy to Israel about his love. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel, and it is from his lineage that the entire nation Israel came. So when it says, Jacob have I loved, he was talking about the nation. Israel have I hated, the nations that came through Esau. And he was talking about that prophetic favoritism for divine purpose that Israel had over other nations. That's all he's saying. 
This is so important. But anyways, the point is this. Verse 14, Romans chapter 9. He says, what shall we then say? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. <laughs> Verse 16. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that chose mercy. Like I said, I call this the league of extraordinary men. I want you to go and listen to the watch night service again. I talked about this. So anybody who was aligned with God's divine purpose became unstoppable. Anybody at all. Anybody at all. Can I tell you something? There are people in the world who don't know the Lord but have a position that is relevant for the agenda of God and so they become aided of the Lord, all right, for that agenda. I can give you examples upon examples. So you have to understand this. Naturally speaking, there was nothing special or spectacular about David. All right? It was his position, his prophetic positioning. God is faithful to Israel. David is king of Israel. And as long as David is king of Israel, he will never lose. You have to understand this. So it's just alignment. <laughs> it's just alignment. And just in case, I'm, I'm just to bring case in point, I want to say this. If you would find God's number one heartbeat and find a way to plant your life in a way that is relevant to that heartbeat, you will never lose. I'm telling you that. And this is what I'm saying. There are some people who are brought into that plan. Brought into that plan. They didn't choose to sovereignly, they were brought into it. Abraham was called of God. But by identification, Lot became blessed also. And so Lot became very prosperous. And after a while, he got carried away. His servants began to fight with Abraham's servants. And instead of Lot to call them to order and say, you guys have forgotten, you have forgotten <laughs> how we got here. Behave yourself. Don't ever try it again. You know, he got carried away. Abraham, seeking peace, said, you know what? The fighting is getting too much. Can you go your way and I go my way? And Lot, in his greed, said, mm, okay, I'll pick this place. He picked the fair and the better land. You've seen people like that, right? Can I tell you something? Follow the blessing. Don't follow money. Follow the leading. Follow purpose. Follow purpose. Can I tell you something? So now you are praying, I want more money. I want to be healthy. 
I want all these things you want, you want, you want. You have said it time and again. Social media has exaggerated your sense of importance. You think the world revolves around you. You want all these things. The question is why? But the moment your desires are aligned with the plan of God, then you become unstoppable. So instead of planning how much money you would have, start planning how you will bless lives, how through you the message of the gospel will prosper, how through you children are going to go to school. Because now, you know the integrity of God, his father of the orphans, he, he prides himself in that. He is husband of the widows. If you neglect all these guys, downplay all these guys, you're going to have a serious problem with God. So I'm talking about alignment now. Now you start thinking, the gospel will prosper in my day. The gospel will prosper. So now there are supernatural indices. <laughs> supernatural indices. Beyond the laws of finance. Beyond the natural laws of life. That secure help. <laughs> that you are that widow in Zarafat and your best, best chance at survival. Listen, it's not all the time that this applies. But sometimes you stand a better chance surviving given that last stuff you have. And I'm not saying this so that you can empty your accounts. We are blessed. But I'm just saying, never jeopardize prophetic leading for intellectual guidance. They must work in balance. And I'm not at the same time saying you should not use your sense. But some people are so carnal. The moment there is uncertainty, you know, even the things God has asked them to do, they stop doing it. You're going to go broke. Are you listening to me? You're going to go broke. Some financial analysts have said, oh, a recession is coming. You've not even prayed about it. You just, you know, start, you know, realigning your expenditure and your, 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 of course, you should be smart in your spending. But I'm talking about the leading of the spirit being more important here. What has God asked you to do with your life? What has he asked you to do? What has, he, what has he actually to do? That's, that's what actually secures you. And the irony of the situation is, even unbelievers who find themselves relevant to the divine plan, people like Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar, they're going to be aided by God. I read this at the Washington service. I want to read this again so that you will get it. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Did I say 13? I want to read 36. Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Give me a moment, please. Oh, thank you, Lord. 
All right. Follow this now. Second Chronicles 36, verse 22. It says, now in the first year, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia. This is, this is a heathen king. He does not know the Lord. In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. You see, this is, so Cyrus found himself in a position to fulfill prophetic purpose. That the mouth of the Lord through the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing so the Lord can stir people up. Thus saith Cyrus, the king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth has God of heaven given to me he had charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. Just imagine. Just imagine. After all that Israel had gone through in captivity and all of that, now of all people, the king of Persia is going to build God a house. <laughs> in, which is in Judea. He now says, who is there among you? Of all his people. Now, he doesn't consider himself one of them. He says, among his people. The Lord, his God. So you see, <laughs> he subscribes to the God of heaven, but he doesn't necessarily have a relationship with him. He said, the Lord, his God, be with him. Let him go. So anybody who wants to do this, I will support you. The Lord, your God, be with you. I I'm just dead to do it. Sometimes you see people who are not really people of faith, protecting the agenda of God in a powerful way. And you're like, what is happening? What is happening? And can I tell you something? As long as they do that, they cannot be stopped. They cannot be stopped. They cannot be stopped. Make your life count. Make your life count. So, is it possible that no matter the situation, you still thrive? Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? Can I tell you something? Follow what I'm saying. No event in the world has, has ever hindered the prophetic purpose of God. No event in the world. No event in the world. Read your history well. So no matter what was happening, the famine in the whole world, God had prepped Pharaoh through Joseph. They had food for seven years. They were prepared. You can't stop the you can't stop the famine, but by prophetic purpose, you can be you, you can be prepared. Someone says, So why won't God tell me if there is famine? What would you do about it? Are you aligned? You, you, you are too into your own space and your own plan. To be involved in the grand scheme of things. That's what I'm telling you. If you want the secrets, you have to care for something greater than your own life. You have to have a larger heart. Because when it all comes down to it, it's not really about all the things happening in the world. The most important thing is who you are <laughs> and who is with you. If you get aligned with prophetic purpose, you'll be unstoppable all the days of your life. And I've read this 
time and again. I want to read this one more time because of the context. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is so powerful. Let me try to read it from the NIV so that you get it. You know, so now David is king. He's living in his beautiful palace. And then he just looks out from the window and he sees the ark of God out there in the open. And he's saying, I can't live in this beautiful house and the ark of God is going to be out there. You know what? I'm going to build God a house. And he tells this to the prophet. You know, and the, the prophet at first, you know, felt it was a good idea. He said, go ahead. But then God speaks to the prophet and says in verse 5, 2 Samuel 7, go and tell David my servant. This is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? <laughs> you know, sometimes we get carried away. You want to carry who is carrying you. You want to carry who is carrying you. All right. So he said, are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? It says, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought Israelites out of Egypt. I have been moving from one place to another with a, with a tent as my, as my dwelling. I don't, I don't want to end up reading the, the whole story. Look at verse 8. God takes David down memory lane. In verse 8, he says, Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture. From tending sheep. He said, you were just a shepherd boy. I took you from the pasture from tending sheep and appointed you ruler over my own people. Ruler over my own people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all the enemies from beyond you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on the earth. Now, so God is saying... All that I am doing for you, I'm doing for the integrity of my plan. Don't get carried away. Align with my plan. Stop coming up with nice ideas. You want to build me a house. So God's, um, David said, God, I want to build you a house. And God replied. He said, I will build you a house. I will give you a name. I'm the one doing it for you. Calm down. The most important thing is alignment. Don't get carried away and think, okay, you can carry on. It's not your intelligence that brought you this far. Oh. <laughs> Look at verse 10 so that you see the perspective. It says, and I will provide a place for my people Israel. This, this was his priority. I'll provide a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that when they have, they have a home of their own and no, are no longer disturbed, the wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning. It says, and as I have done ever since the time I appointed leaders of, over my people Israel, I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that he himself will establish a house for you. You want to build me a house? I am telling you, I will build you a house. I'm the one doing it. And I'm doing it for the integrity of my name, for the consistency of my plan and my prophetic purpose, for my people Israel. It's about Israel. And now David is smarter. And so David replies in prayer. Look at verse 20. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Look at verse, let's read from verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. I don't know if you do that often. Many times you are too particular about 
postures of prayer, the way, you know, you see it done. But many times you have to be more conscious of the fact that it's a conversation. I like this. The Bible says David went in and sat before the Lord. And look at what he said. He said, who am I? Listen, this is the vocabulary of a man of prophetic purpose. You know it's not about you. A man of prophetic purpose would never be proud. Can I tell you something? A man of purpose will know that he is aided of the Lord. Will never see himself better than others. You know, there is a constant sense of humility. It's God. He says, who am I, sovereign Lord? What is my family that you have brought me this far? I want you to highlight verse 18 if it's not highlighted in, 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 in your Bible. He says, who am I? What is my family? What did I do to deserve all that I've got? You brought me this far. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Verse 21. It says, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing. That's a smart man. <laughs> I know that all this is happening because I'm aligned. It's for the sake of your word and according to your will that you have done this great thing and made it known unto me. He says, how great are you, Lord? There is none like you. And verse 23, he says, and who is like your people, Israel? The one nation on the earth that God went out, out to redeem as a people for himself. To make a name for himself. Say, oh, follow these people. Follow these people of God. He said, God, you are making a name for yourself. With the people of Israel. You are making a name. You know, this is the problem with a lot of people. They're trying to make a name for themselves. In business. In their finances. But he's saying, God, I see what you're doing. You have your own agenda. And through the children of Israel, you are making a name for yourself. Listen, this is the principle of effortless victory. That the moment I become so selfless and aligned that God can propagate his agenda through my life, he can make a name for himself through my life, I will not be stopped. It doesn't matter what happens. You know, no wonder the Bible says that he suffered no one to do them wrong. He reproved kings for, themselves, for, for their sake. And he said, touch not my anointed. Do my prophets no harm. No wonder the children of Israel were so unstoppable. God was making a name for himself with their lives. This is so powerful. Hey. And to make a name for himself. And to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out the nations and their gods before your people, who you redeemed from Egypt. Verse 24, you have established your people Israel as your very own forever. You have become their God. Verse 25, if you've been sleeping till now, pay attention now. It says, and now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you have promised. So, what a brilliant way to pray for your future. To say, it's not my plan. It's not my vision. I didn't get myself into this. It's your vision. I'm only aligned. Keep your promise. Make a name for yourself with my life. Keep your promise. Make a name for... Listen, if this becomes your preoccupation, your predisposition, your prayer, your focus, you become unstoppable. That God... You know, so God 
is there saying, whom shall I send? And you say, send me. You become unstoppable. Make a name for yourself with my life. Sometimes he doesn't give you a vision. And this, I wish I had more time to talk about this. He brings you to partner with a vision. You have to recognize that. A lot of us are trying to pioneer where we should be partnering. And that's part of the problem. When you can say that God is making a name for himself with your life, you become unstoppable. Because can I tell you something? Help has never been the problem. <laughs> it doesn't matter what the world is facing. That's never been the problem. You can be effortlessly victorious, consistently successful through it all. I'm going to end with the text. Um, we'll just read it together prophetically. <sighs> and then we pray. Time moves very fast when you're having fun. Have you noticed that? <laughs> oh, glory to God. Turn the Bible's book of Isaiah. 46, 46 verse 9. I'm trying to see what, what verse to read and what not to read because of time. Pay attention to this. It says, remember the former things of old. I'm the Lord for there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. You need to know why this is important. Because we first established that naturally speaking, you can't control the future. Because things happen. But I'm bringing in the angle of supernatural advantage. And now God is telling you who he is. He says he declared the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. So it is possible. I'm talking about the league of extraordinary men. Men aligned with prophetic purpose. They live in a realm where the end is declared from the beginning. Do you understand what he's describing here? The Hebrew words that are used is is akin to someone telling the news. Just imagine you turn on the news and someone is reading the news of next year as if it is happening today. That can happen by prophecy. So you know what is going to happen. God says he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things not yet done. Saying my counsel will stand and I will do all my pleasure. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. So there are a lot of consistencies in the world, but God's counsel will stand. And so by aligning yourself with the counsel of God, you bring consistency to your life. You bring consistency to your life. He says, and then this now brings you to a life of favor. Because verse 11 says, calling a ravenous bed from the east, a man that executed my counsel from a far country. People can come from far to favor you, just to execute the counsel. You might be in your house because of the lockdown. People can locate you to favor you. Did you hear what I said? People can locate you to favor you. Listen, I've seen the favor of God this period. This has been my best year by far, by far, in every aspect. Every aspect. Every aspect. And I might not tell the stories until maybe it might even be years from now. But this pandemic might be the best thing that has ever happened to our ministry. I, say it, I said it with my chest. <laughs> and when we come into the fullness of the manifestation, you will see. It says, a man that executed his counsel from a far country. I've seen it. 
People who barely even know me just message me for favor. Oh, that's my life. It's time to align with purpose. Stop, you know, you're like, you, now you're still like, oh, how do I feed my hungry stomach and all of that? You're, you're missing the point. Lie prostrate on the floor and say, you know what, God, I'm tired of trying with my own strength and with my own wisdom. What will you have me do with my life? What should I do? And the moment you see the visions of God, put your life on it. It will be worth it. You will never lose. <laughs> Did you hear what I said? You will never lose. I'm sure you were blessed by that. Get ready. Get ready. Stop trying to do, stop trying to get God to bless what you're doing and start doing what God is blessing. That's my message for you. It's the principle of success, even in all star times, where everybody has a famine, but you plant and you receive hundredfold. It's a, it's a prophetic thing. Because now, the money is not just so that you can buy fancy wristwatches and fancy clothes. There is a purpose to be sponsored. You can't run down. You can't run down. So that's why you have to begin to tie your, your commitment to purpose. Be smart. Be smart. It was one of the secrets of Abraham's life. Abraham never saw an angel and did not know. He, he just knew, he just knew how, he knew who to honor. Many key events in his life came from prophetic honor. You, you, these are the secrets here. Alignment. Throw away your plans. Throw away your agenda. Throw away the timing for your life. Some of you are too carnal in your own wisdom. You, you, you just think it's all about moving to Canada. That's your problem. Stop and listen. Listen to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. It's going to change your life. Begin to pray in the Spirit right now. Pray in the Spirit right now. Pray in the Spirit right now. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit right now. Come on, I'm telling you, this is your moment. Some of you, your life is about to change forever. Take this moment seriously and say the words that David said and say, Father, make a name for yourself with my life. I put aside my agenda, my schemes, my ambitions, my hopes, my plans, and I take on your plan for my life right now. Oh, with an open heart, I look up to your plan for my life. I receive your template for my life in the mighty name of Jesus, and I choose to walk in your plan for my life in the mighty name of Jesus, I accept your timing. I accept the when, the where, the what, the who, the how. In the mighty name of Jesus, I declare that my life is not my own. I submit to your agenda. I submit to your plan. I submit to your purpose. In the mighty name of Jesus, 
Jesus. And all that you have said you will do with my life and through my life. I say in the name of Jesus. Do as you have said. Make a name for yourself with my life. Do as you have said. Make a name for yourself with my life. Take the stage with my life. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Every selfishness I command to go out of the way in the mighty name of Jesus. I submit myself to your agenda, to your plan, to your purpose. I submit myself in the name of Jesus. Every self-interest I commit, I command to go out of the way. Oh, the love for money I put out of the way the love for the praise of men I put out of the way and I submit to your plan for my life I submit to your plan for my life I submit to your plan for my life make a name for yourself with my life take this stage and have your way I consider myself a vessel of honor a vessel a vessel a vessel of mercy a vessel of mercy. That's who I am. An object of mercy. Hey, that through me, your agenda for my world, for my generation, will be manifest, will be fulfilled. Oh, take the stage, Lord. Take the stage, Lord. Walk through my mind. Help me to see your visions, your plan. Help me to feel your heartbeat so that every of my actions will be consistent with your desire. Thank you, dear Lord. Glory be to your name. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Father, we thank you. Thank you for raising a selfless army with Celebration Church to fulfill your agenda for this time. Oh, we recognize the sacredness of the task to which we have been called. For the Lord says, He says, I've raised in you, I've raised you as a people to change the face of the local church in the body of Christ. He says, recognize your call. He says, stand up to the task. Learn all that you need to learn. Do all that you need to do. Strengthen every weak joints. Strengthen every feeble knees. This is the time to take root, to go deeper, to grow responsibility. There are things that have ordained to be under your care. But until you grow, I can't show them to you. The Lord is asking me to tell you, grow up, daughter. Grow up, son. Leave the pettiness. There is much to do. Life to, life to touch. People to transform with my word. See beyond yourself. See beyond yourself, daughter. See beyond yourself, son. The Lord is asking me to tell someone, stop saying no to me. The things that I've asked you to do, stop saying no to me. Be a doer of my word. Hallelujah. Because my hand will always follow my word. So says the Lord. Come on, give the Lord a shout of praise right now. Woo! Glory! Hey, he's making a name for himself with my life. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah to Jesus. I'm sure you were blessed by that. All right. Keep learning, keep growing. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 
996-7000. Blessings.